Welcome to Red House Rising, Season 4. Red House Rising is brought to you commercial-free. But once you've enjoyed the podcast, please visit redhouserising.com slash doing more to learn how you can help in the fight to end human trafficking. Now this is Red House Rising, Season 4, Episode 1, Beginning of the End. It's the spring of 1945. On April 12th, President Roosevelt dies of a cerebral hemorrhage, and Harry Truman becomes president. Two weeks later, Adolf Hitler commits suicide, and the Nazis surrender. With Germany defeated in Europe, the U.S. and its allies focus their full attention on the Japanese. They mine Japan's home islands, preventing vital food and fuel from reaching port. Hundreds of U.S. B-29s carry out a relentless firebombing campaign, devastating Tokyo and nearly every major industrial city. And yet, Japan's militarists refuse to surrender. In Hawaii, most interned Japanese Americans have been released from the camps. Nightly blackouts and martial law have finally ended, but the U.S. military still controls the islands. And with Japan nearly vanquished, the Chinese civil war between the communists and the nationalists is about to explode again, while at the same time, Russia is moving on Manchuria and ready to take any advantage it can in China and in Japan. Chengdu, China, U.S. Army Air Base. It's sunrise. Mike pulls an old motorcycle up to the fuel depot, where a soldier comes to attention and salutes. At ease, Cervella. Sergeant Novak let you use his Norton, sir? That's a first. <laughs> yeah, we go back. We were in the AVG together, so way back. Flying Tigers, sir? That's right. He kept that ground crew jumping. <laughs> yes, sir. Sergeant Novak is one of our best mechanics. Okay. Thanks, Cervella. As you were. the motorcycle over to the side of a mountain road. Below is a spectacular view of Chengxin and its rivers. Okay, Reg. You're coming with me. Yeah, that'll work. Mike is on foot now, picking his way along a dank, dark passageway in an old Chengxin neighborhood. It's midday, but you'd never know it. Mike opens a wooden door and steps down into a smoky room with a rudimentary bar across one wall. No one pays any attention to him. All eyes are on the card game in the corner. You don't scare me, Reggie Powell. You are not queen of this castle, or any castle anymore. Chang and Mao, they both want you dead. All of Changshin knows this. Changshin also knows you, Fong. 
stupid, corrupt, and a very bad card player. So I take your money. Just leave it on the table. Reggie. Cheating, lying whore! You're worth more dead than alive. Am I right? Two men appear out of the shadows and stand behind Fong. The other card players at the table get up quickly and rush out the door past Mike. Reggie glances in their direction. Oh, my darling! When did you arrive? I'm sorry, gentlemen, but we'll have to continue this later. Not this time, Reggie Powell. Both of Fong's men pull revolvers, but Reggie whirls and throws a swallowtail knife that slashes one of the men, then shoves Mike out the door ahead of her. You're coming with me. Obviously. Where's your Jeep? Down here. Mike turns into another alley and Reggie follows. This seat's like a rock. Just be glad you're not riding on the fender. Might as well be. Hold on, stop for a minute. Why? Come on, stop. Mike. Mike pulls the motorcycle over. They're outside of Chungshin City now. Reggie hops off the bike. I know why you're here. I know Roger wants me. He just wants you safe, Reggie. So he sent you on a bike? The bike was my idea. Reggie, you know that old geezer is right. A lot of important people around here want you dead. Comes with the territory, Mike. Go ask Alice. Sorry. Alice was trying to make a better China. That's all Roger wants to do. But he needs your help. He's got my help. In Washington, not Chongqing. Washington, D.C.? Are you kidding? The politicians, the generals, they're fed all sorts of guff. Like Mao is an agrarian reformer. They need a truthful explanation of your country. What makes Roger think they'll listen to me? I'm not Madam Chiang, Mike. Roger believes there are people who will listen to you, Reggie. I don't know, Mike. It's been fun working with you OSS boys, but... Come on, get on. Mike. I think your friends found us. Get on. We should be able to outrun them. Give me your 45. Here. I thought firearms weren't your cup of tea. A girl can change her mind. Reggie fires, hitting the car's windshield, cracking the glass. But the car barrel's on. Kill the whore! Do it! What are you waiting for? They won't take no for an answer. You're pretty good at throwing things. There's a Beano in that saddlebag. Baseball grenade explodes on contact. The car roars around a turn, gaining on Mike and Reggie. Reggie pulls the grenade from the saddlebag. You got it? Whoa, whoa! whoa. Have you got it? Yeah, yeah, I got it. Throw a strike and let's get out of here. A strike? Hit it right down the middle. The car flies around a turn and comes into full view, racing up to them closer than ever. Hold steady! Reggie cocks her arm and lets the grenade fly. The grenade explodes against the hood. The engine bursts into flames. The car swings toward the hillside, then careens back and sails off the road and down a steep ravine.
You're coming with me. Please. Well, since you asked nicely... Joe McManamy is at the controls of her Navy JRB-4 float plane, en route to Tinian Island. By 1945, Tinian had become the largest airbase in the world. Seated in back of the float plane are Special Agent Estelle Lockett, Japanese POW Taka Kawashima, and a U.S. Marine MP escort. I'm going up front for a while. Sure, I got him. He's not going anywhere. Are you, Taka? Where would I go? I'll tell you where. Right out that cabin door. I've seen Jap prisoners jump off cliffs, cut their guts open, anything but surrender. Even try to swallow their own tongues. That's because their officers tell them if the Americans capture you, it means unbearable torture and death. You're saying they're brainwashed. And we're going to have to kill every last one of them. Not if we can help it. Not if we can reach enough people. Japan used to be a democracy. People don't want war. Most Japanese never did. Of course they don't want war. Now that our B-29s are bombing the hell out of them. Yes, they are. This war should end now. That's what we're headed to Tinian to do. Convince the Japanese people to surrender rather than fight to the last man. And then we'll help them become a democracy again. Tinian, here we come. What's going on back there? Oh, nothing. Our marine escort thought Taka might jump out of the plane, but he's just like the rest of us, ready for this war to be over. Just like the Japanese, I'll wager. Ready for an end to the firebombing and starvation. I know we need to force an end, but I can't help worrying. Your Prince Nikura, I understand. You know my son, our son, Daniel? He asked before I left, he was, I mean, he was looking at a picture of me and Mike together and he asked, where's daddy? And I didn't correct him. Well, he's still young. He's four, he's figuring things out. Of course, he's as smart as can be. Tinian Control says the 58th Wing is en route. The B-29's from China? Yeah. So maybe Mike? Yeah, I think so. He loves Mike, Daniel. He always has. Well, Mike's pretty likable. Is he? Stop it. <laughs> when this war is over, you should marry him. Unless you're hoping. Someday your prince will come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and Snow White. <laughs> no, the prince has to survive because I want Daniel to know him someday. Somehow, after the war. I want him to know his real father. Prince Nakura's estate outside Matsuyama, Japan. Fumiko stands at a window, looking down on a courtyard filled with women and children. Most have carts or trunks filled with valuable personal possessions they can trade for food. 
mother? Yes, here, Rio. I'm sorry. I know you have to go. I wish I could stay and help. It's not fair that Prince Nakora left you with all this responsibility. I'm happy to have it. Really, I am. Having to care for so many is a way to care for myself. Just like you, where would you be without your General Ono to take care of? Flying. Like father. Rio, once this war is finished, you will learn to fly. You know this. Prince Nikura has promised you. If he survives, if they land troops in Shikoku, he's going to have to fight to the death like the rest of us. Prince Nikura is already fighting for us. In Tokyo, there are men like Nick fighting for an immediate end to the war. Well, now I'm certain I'll never fly. Stop that. He may be a prince, but talking about surrender in the wrong places, especially in Tokyo? I need to go, Mother. They won't hold the plane for me. I know, I know. Rio, please protect yourself and come home safe. Come home safe to me. I will, Mother. I'm glad you have this work to protect you. Tokyo, Japan, well past midnight. Three men walk along a deserted street. One of the men is Prince Nick Nikura. Secretary Sakumitsu's report is absolutely definitive. There can be no argument with the facts now. We must ensure this is impressed upon the Privy Seal, the Emperor himself. Prince Nakura, tell your friends to run along. The driver sticks a gun out the window and points it at Nick. The driver is Lieutenant Mackay, a young Kempetai officer, military secret police. Go on, you two. Nick nods to the men and they hurry away. The sedan has darkened windows and headlights. A voice comes from the back seat. Tell him to get in. You heard him. Lower your weapon. Who am I speaking with? The back door of the sedan flies open. Just get in, Nikura. Lieutenant Mackay cocks his revolver. Nick relents and gets in back where an older Kempetai colonel glares at him. You know, Nikura, you are spending time with the wrong people here in Tokyo. It's going to get you killed. Mackay turns around and points his revolver at Nick. Turn around. Watch where you're going. <laughs> the road follows the Sumida River up from Tokyo Harbor until it doesn't. The car rounds a turn and slams to a stop. The road is blocked with shattered lumber and debris. Buildings for miles ahead have been burned to the ground. Numbskull. Never mind. Stop the car. Nikura, get out. Nick and Yokata get out. Makai opens his door, but Yokata slams it shut. Uh, sir, wait here. Let's go, Nikura. Try to keep up. Colonel Yokata shoves Nick down a brick path toward the river. This way. Let's go. He shoves Nick down an alley behind a row of deserted shops. Hold it right there. Yokata pulls out his pistol, then returns to the entrance to the alley and looks up and down the pathway. He walks back to Nick. Some of the younger officers would love nothing more than to put a bullet in your head. Like your driver. Especially Lieutenant Mackay. 
Yokana. You look like shit. So do you, Nikura. <laughs> the two men embrace. The war's already lost, is that it? You know about the Sakumitsu findings. Our situation is currently worse than his report. The shipping lanes are mined relentlessly. We're making people collect acorns for aviation fuel. The military has lost a war they never should have started. Now they expect the entire civilian population to die gloriously fighting for the Emperor. Insanity. They're putting in a new cabinet. Suzuki will be Prime Minister, reluctantly, replacing Tojo. But Nikura, my friend, you can't go around talking freely about surrender. We have no choice. Listen to me. The military still controls this government. They've tasked the Kembetai with exterminating defeatists. That's why I have you on the inside, keeping me out of trouble. The country's had enough, Yokada. The Emperor must be convinced to speak to his people with an edict, or better, a radio address, explaining that peace through surrender does not mean the end of Kokutai. I've heard some in the government have reached out to Russia to broker peace. Foolhardy. Stalin has no respect for Japan, let alone Kokutai. Agreed. The U.S. is our only alternative, and I intend to make that clear to anyone who will listen. People will listen, and they may wholeheartedly agree, but they will never say so. They'll toe the military line and never surrender. I know I have enemies here in Tokyo, but I also have friends here, like you, Yokada, for which I am most grateful. Just the same. Please remember rule number one. Hmm. Expect the unexpected. <laughs> you were paying attention in class. Be careful, my friend. Tinian Island, U.S. Army Air Base, North Field. It's the middle of the night, but the field buzzes with activity. Hundreds of B-29s are either parked on hard stands undergoing maintenance and refueling, or they're lining up and taking off. Joe, Lockett, Taka, and his Marine escort cross the crushed coral tarmac toward an unmarked Quonset hut. By Christ, this is a madhouse. Oh, you got that right. Is this naval intelligence here? We're sharing with Army OSS and the Office of War Information. OWI's driving the leaflet effort. Mike comes out the door of the Quonset hut, grinning. I do believe that's your fella. Yep, that's him. Hi, Estelle. Mike scoops up Joe and gives her a big hug and kiss. Wow. <laughs> I missed you. Can you tell? I missed you, too. Roger Kaufman emerges from the Quonset hut. He's also grinning. Roger? What? It's been... Six years in September. Estelle, you look great. You haven't changed a bit. You have, Roger. What's that caterpillar on your upper lip? <laughs> See, haven't changed a bit. And you must be Joe McMinnemy. It's a pleasure to finally meet you, Joe. It's my pleasure, Roger. 
Thanks for bringing this one back. Roger's on his way to Washington with a couple of our friends from China, and I told him he might be able to give him a ride as far as Honolulu. Sure. I should have room. Happy to have the company. Excuse me. Colonel, where can I put this guy? Roger, is this your propaganda man? Our best. Taka Kawashima, Roger Kaufman of the OSS. Hello, Taka. Your countrymen need your help. They need to hear the truth. That's why I'm here. To help make sure the truth speaks louder than the lies the government tells them. God willing, they'll listen. Right inside there, Sergeant. They'll take Mr. Kawashima off your hands. The Marine escorts Taka into the Quonset hut. Estelle, Colonel Mercer is going to help your OWI drop team with the leaflet operation. Yeah, the bird I flew in from Chengdu is getting fitted out with clusters right now. That's great news, Mike. Excellent. Let's go in. Oh, any idea where I can find a good mechanic? I've got something going on with my electrical that needs looking at. Well, Tinian is crawling with good mechanics. But, uh, how about Novak? The Sergeant Novak? From AVG days? Yeah, he flew in with us from China. Are you kidding? Yes, Novak, if he's got the time. Oh, he's going to make time for you. You know that. This guy had a serious thing for Joe. Because I was pregnant. He told me whenever he saw me, he got homesick. <laughs> <laughs> He comes from a big Polish family, seven older sisters. <laughs> Honolulu, Hawaii, in the exclusive hilltop neighborhood along Pacific Heights Road. There's a loud party going on in one of the nicer homes. All at once, a well-dressed young woman strides out the front door, crosses to a convertible Cadillac, and gets behind the wheel. A young army officer runs out the door after the woman. Ruth! What are you doing? Getting some air. Air? You can't be serious. We have guests. They're not guests, Wade. They're an army wrecking crew. And those women they brought are worse than the men. Oh, look who's talking. The Queen Madam of Chinatown. Get out of my way. Move, or I'll... Ruth backs up into Wade, but he yanks the driver door open as it goes by and jumps in, jamming his foot on the brake as he does. You son of a... Shove over, now! Why? What are you doing, Wade? What about your party? They'll tear the place apart. Wade! Shut up! Ah! You... You said you'd never hit me again. Well, sometimes a wife's gotta know. Know what? That her husband's friends are leeches, sucking off of us, poisoning our lives? I'm gonna say this one more time, Ruth. Shut the fuck up! The convertible races through deserted Honolulu streets headed for the North Shore Highway. All right, I think I've had enough air. Where are we going, Wade? Wade! Slow down, you're drunk. Are we going to Hickam Field? Why are we going? Yes, we're going to Hickam. At this hour? You're in no condition to fly. I don't plan to. Couple of nurses needed a ride tonight. I wasn't gonna bother, but since we're getting some air. Couple of nurses? 
Uh Uh-huh. You would disrespect me like that? Uh, Respect works both ways, Ruthie baby. You don't respect my friends. My friends don't respect how you make your money. I don't give a damn what your friends think. Oh, now maybe if you got some of your professional girls up to a party, my friends wouldn't need to go looking for nurses or wax Absolutely not. Not in Pacific Heights. What difference does it make? The neighbors already know it's a whore's house. Even if you are married to a major in the U.S. Army Air Force. Oh, now look who shut herself up finally. You missed it. Missed what? Nothing. What did I miss? Tell me! The turn to Hickam. You missed it. (laughs) Wade! No! Look out! Shunji jumps out of his car carrying a small black bag. The Cadillac's engine is throwing up black smoke. Wade is draped over the steering wheel. Ichiro gets the driver door open and eases Wade back into the seat. That's it. Easy. Wade's head is split open. There's blood everywhere. Ichiro checks his carotid artery. No pulse. The smoke gets worse. Flames appear. The engine's on fire. Ichiro pulls Wade from the car and drags him away. He lays him down and checks his pulse again. Wade is gone. The Cadillac is fully engulfed now. Ichiro pulls Wade's body further from the flames, then looks around for the source of the scream and spots Ruth lying crumpled at the base of a shattered fence. All right, miss. I'm a doctor. Can you hear me? Ruth is in shock. She's shaking, her dress shredded, her thighs slashed open and bleeding profusely. We've got to stop this blood flow. Let me just... Ichiro pulls his shirt off, rolls it lengthwise, and uses it as a tourniquet on Ruth's upper leg. Easy. I've got you. I'm a doctor. We need to get your leg to stop bleeding. That's it. There. It's tight, I know. It has to be tight. Okay. I've got you. I've got you. Red House Rising is written and directed by Chris Cote and Dale Carey. Episode 2 is next. Next.